It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, June 24, 2009. Yeah, had to uh, send the boy home today. Well, actually, he's going to visit Southern California. But i got to be careful. I don't want my radio program to sound like some audio version of a reality TV show. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, get you to think critically, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Just because somebody says, uh, God says so-and-so, doesn't mean that God said anything of the sort. Uh, We need to compare what that person is saying to see whether or not God said so-and-so. That's an important part of what we call discernment. And those teachers out there who are saying that God says so-and-so when God said nothing of the sort... Well, unfortunately, we need to warn people about those teachers because they're not teaching the truth. Oh, and by the way, it's not enough to teach the truth. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, you don't go to church to get such incredible truths as 2 plus 2 equals 4, E equals MC squared. Driving on a slippery road could be hazardous to your health. Those are all true statements. No, the truth that the church is to traffic in is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins. This is not some basic doctrine. This is not just some idea that, you know, hey, listen, you know, that that whole thing about Jesus dying for my sins. You know, I heard that, you know, back 30 years ago at a Billy Graham crusade when I gave my heart to Jesus and, uh, you know, we got to get on to bigger and better things. And no, everything flows from the gospel. The gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins is the center and substance of scripture. And you, Christian, you who've been in the faith for upteen years, you still need to hear that Christ died for your sins. Why? Well, because you sin today. And if you think that you haven't, uh, you're only deceiving yourself, and uh, we need to have a chat. All right, we got a good program lined up today. Uh, let's see here. we got some news stories we're going to take a look at today. got news about conservative Presbyterians and a recent study on women in the PCUSA. Um, I got an update on that hospital worker in the U.K. who was uh, in a row with her employer uh, uh, regarding her wearing a crucifix. Um, And then I got a great story from ABCNews.com. Some see uh, polyamorous marriage as the next civil rights movement. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it's just a matter of time before that makes its way into the church. We'll talk about that. And then I'm going to uh, do a little bit of a piece that I entitled, uh, Making a Decision to Be a Jesus Follower Does Not Make One Born Again. And the way I'm going to prove this is uh, we're going to talk about Donald Trump, of all people. So uh, stay tuned. That's going to be rather interesting. And then uh, got a little bit of news from Granger Community Church. Tim Stevens of Granger Community Church has uh, 
uh, he's got a new blog post up, and he's redefined the terms worship and Christ-centered. So now, it can, you know, worship and Christ-centered can now include uh, somebody playing Van Halen's Eruption and a song that doesn't even mention Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that today. And then uh, our sermon review. Funny enough, I one of the churches church names I came up with that uh, I that I use for spoof things is Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. And funny enough, I found a church online entitled Abundant Life Church, and uh, their pastor, Pastor uh, the uh, Mark Smith, uh, not too long ago did a sermon series entitled Adventure. Yes, Adventure. Uh huh. And so we're going to be listening to this little tidbit of a sermon, but it really can't be classified as that, even though it technically was delivered in a church, and we're going to take that apart and, again, kind of show the narcissistic, me-centered mythology, the uh, ear-scratching that's going on in the name of God that uh, isn't even Christian preaching at all. So got a lot of ground to cover today, so go grab yourself a beverage if you have the ability Make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers are out of the equation for the summertime. Just want to let you know that. You don't, you're don't. you not required to wear fuzzy bunny slippers in order to get comfortable during the summer. Um, funny enough, you know, listening to today's forecast here in the greater central Indiana area, and uh, it was probably one of the more bizarre uh, weather forecasts I've heard in a long time because the weather reporter said that uh, today's forecast, they expect it to be hot and sticky. Now, hot and sticky are, uh, when I when I think of hot and sticky, I think of freshly baked uh, chocolate chip cookies. I mean, that's what I think of. Um, I don't normally think of weather as being hot and sticky. So, anyway, just wanted to pass that along, that today is hot and sticky, apparently, in central Indiana. And boy, is it. You know, it's in the 90s, and they got all kinds of humidity going on here. And uh, so apparently the weather is a big chocolate chip cookie, freshly baked. All right, uh, moving along here to our, diving into our show proper. From the uh, Christian Post, we read, Conservative Presbyterians reject study on women's roles. Yep, uh, this is uh, from Lillian Kwan, who is a Christian Post reporter. We read, the role of women in leadership continues to trigger heated debates within the Presbyterian Church in America. That would be the PCA, which currently forbids women from holding positions of authority over men. Now, I need to correct Lillian here. I understand you know, she's trying to report on this issue, but she's inaccurate in her reporting here. And the reason why is because the Presbyterian Church in America is not the one that currently forbids women from holding positions of authority over men. That would be the Bible, God's Word. Uh, so uh, the conservatives in the PCA, those would be uh, people who have not bought into liberal uh, textual criticism, higher criticism, and deconstructing of the Bible in order to open up the door to wider, more, quote, enlightened uh, interpretations of Scripture that would allow for women pastors. And by the way, again, we see this over and over and over again. Every single denomination that opens the door to women pastors, women you know, being officially uh, as head teaching pastors, it is just a matter of days after that happens to where somebody says, well, now that we've done that, what about homosexual pastors? Just It always happens that way. It's as sure as night follows day. 
We continue reading. Uh, this week, during the 37th General Assembly in Orlando, Florida, church leaders voted four, uh, 446 to 427. That is a tight vote. Against appointing a study committee to examine women's roles in the denomination. The vote on Thursday was in agreement with the Overtures uh, Committee's argument that the role of women is not an unstudied issue and that forming a study committee is unlikely to break new ground or shed uh, new insights. Opponents of women in leadership feared a study group would eventually open the way for women's ordination. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you see how close that vote is, by the way? <laughs> Opponents of women in leadership feared a study group would eventually open. Okay, once the box is open, it's very difficult to close, said Andy Webb of the Central Carolina Presbytery, according to the layman. What are we deciding to? Uh, what we are deciding today is whether our sons or our daughters should lead our churches down the road. Now, again, I got to correct Andy here. Um, no, you're not making a decision as to whether or not it's your sons or daughters who should lead the church down the road. It's whether or not God is going to be the one in the position of leadership and His Word within the position of leadership and authority within your church. Uh, you you chuck out God and His Word and install women as pastors. Um, you can say that your daughters now have a voice and it's more equitable. The problem is, is you're in outright rebellion against the clear teachings of the Word of God. Okay, the uh, overtures for a study committee were submitted by the James River Presbytery and Susquehanna Valley Presbytery. I love that word, Susquehanna. Uh, they state that the PCA has struggled with the question of how women in the local church are to exercise their God-given gifts within the framework of the Book of Church Order, which states that only male members can be ordained. No, again, uh, the uh, the Book of Church Order is just going by what Scripture says. It's it, Anyway, uh, many PCA churches are uncertain about how to uh, use appropriately God's gift among the many capable women with the membership of those churches, uh, the overture further read. Again, it, it has nothing to do with whether or not women are capable administrators. It has nothing to do with whether or not capable, women are capable teachers or even, quote, capable theologians. It has to do with the fact that Scripture is clear. Women are not to have a position of authority over men in the church. And if you have a problem with that, take it up with God. Why? Because when we read in Scripture, that particular, um, uh, let's say, rule set down for God's church uh, is tied directly to uh, creation. Adam and Eve. Look it up in your Bible. And again, I would ask the question, how many of uh, Jesus' uh, inner circle of the 12 disciples, um, who uh, 11 of them later went on to become the apostles, the ones who were sent, how many of them were women? Uh, answer, none. Zero. Zip, nada. Nunca, nadie. Nothing. None of them were women. They were all men. So, you know, Jesus apparently was a chauvinist. And so this fight in the PCUSA is not a fight over women's ordination. Really, in reality, this is a fight over the authority of God's word and whether or not the, the Presbyterian church in America is going to remain faithful to what God's word instructs, lays down, uh, and says regarding this issue. You put women in authority, the church then is in open rebellion against God and his word, period. 
There's no way to soften it. There's no way to make it better. There's no way to make it okay. There's no way to rationalize it. God's word clearly forbids it. And so when churches run down this path, they are running afoul of God and his word. So this, again, this is, you know, people think this is a battle over women's ordination. It's not. Ultimately, this is a battle for whether or not God's word continues to be the sole authority within his church. And so, anyway, we'll pray for the PCA because, yeah, I mean, really, just, you know, 10, 15 votes, uh, and uh, this thing turns the other way for them. So, all right. Um, From the Telegraph in the UK, a story by Murray uh, Wardrop, who is a uh, reporter there, Christian hospital worker quits over crucifix row now remember we talked about this not too long ago on the program uh the uh they had a christian hospital worker was told that she had to uh she's a nurse i think uh, uh she was told that she can't wear her crucifix for hygiene reasons uh although i've never heard of any hospital having such rules um again you know kind of chalk this up to the ongoing and growing uh persecution of christians in the united kingdom Uh, A Christian hospital worker who was ordered to remove a crucifix over health and safety fears has resigned from her job in protest. The mother of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Helen Slater, 43, was told by uh, Gloucestershire, now I know I'm probably messing that up, but Royal Hospital, that the gold necklace could harbor and spread infections or even be used as a weapon. Okay, I, I got to take issue with that. Okay, the, 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 UK, the UK story here, the, the Telegraph story, has a picture of Helen Slater holding up her crucifix. It is literally about an inch high. That is, and, and so, you know, whatever you figure out the dimensions, you know, it's a little crucifix. It could even be used as a weapon. Now, I, the last time I was at an airport, last time I, now I've been to airports before. I've been to plenty of airports. I've been through security screenings uh, at some of the top uh, uh, airports in in the country. And that would be in the United States. And I can tell you most certainly that never once have I seen any anybody in uh, the security checkpoints telling people that they cannot take a crucifix. Onto an airplane. Now, why do I point this out? Well, they're saying that uh, that this crucifix could potentially be used as a weapon. Well, if that's the case, if they could, it could potentially be used as a weapon, wouldn't it logically follow that for the sake of safety out there, we, the last thing we want is another terror incident on an airplane that we that they should be confiscating and uh, telling people that they are not allowed to wear their crucifixes while flying on an airplane and they should be stopped at security checkpoints and have their crucifixes taken away from them it, it would only make sense wouldn't it yeah well the chances of a gold crucifix uh, being used as a weapon or really harboring a, and spreading infections again it just uh Leaves you wondering. Miss Slater, a uh, blood sampler or, or phlebotomist, was not content to accept the hospital's offer that she carry the necklace in her pocket, and uh, she has now resigned. The mother of one said she was not willing to choose between her job and her religion, despite the NHS trust insisting the issue was about safety, not faith. Yeah, this is the same group that uh, nearly fired a nurse for offering to pray for somebody. Uh, Miss Slater of Gloucester said they made it clear that if I went back to the hospital, 
uh, went back. To, uh, the hospital would send me home if I was wearing my crucifix. I'm not willing to stop wearing it, so I have been left with no choice but to leave my job. They are the NHS are, aren't going to back down, and I'm not sure if I'd want to work somewhere where I had been treated like this anyway. Miss Slater had worked at the hospital for five years and was shocked when superiors last month ordered her to remove the two-centimeter crucifix, which she wore under her uniform. She was brought before the, a disciplinary committee and warned that necklaces were banned for all staff members. Uh, Gloucestershire NHS Trust confirmed that Miss Slater had handed in her notice. A spokesman said that the issue is not one of religion. The Trust employs a uniform policy which must be adhered to at all times. This policy applies for all staff employed by the Trust who wear a uniform on duty. The jewelry is restricted to one pair of plain ear studs and one uh, band-type ring on the finger, uh, the trust added. Miss Slater finished her last shift on May 12th and never returned after being signed off with uh, stress. Uh, the case echoes that of uh, Nadia Awida, who clashed with British Airways after refusing to take off a crucifix. British Airways later changed its policy to allow staff to wear a religious symbol. Last year, Caroline Petrie, a community nurse from Weston's Supermare, uh, Somerset faced disciplinary action after a patient complained that she had offered to pray for her. The primary care trust later agreed that she could continue to pray for patients as long as she asked, uh, first, uh, asked first them if they had uh, any spiritual needs. So there you have it. An interesting story there. Religious persecution? Well, it, I don't know. With the, the way things are going in the U.K., could go either way, but again, my issue is is that you know it just um, it's, I find it odd, find it odd, and uh, not too surprising. All right, moving on to abcnews.com. Um, the headline reads: Polyamory when one spouse isn't enough. Some see polyamorous marriage as the next civil rights movement. By Susan Donaldson James of abcnews.com. Um, uh, she has a birth name, but calls herself. Ashara Love, because most people don't understand her unconventional family. Love, a 51-year-old insurance underwriter from California, has been married to her husband, Cougar, for a decade, but they have had numerous sexual triads, which they insist have enriched their relationship. I am living my life partially hidden and partially open, said Love, whose friends and boss know about her sexuality, but her parents do not. I hope she doesn't. Uh, anyway, uh, many of us adopt another name because it provides us with protection from being outed, she said. We are the next generation after the gay and uh, transgender communities. As polyamorous, the couple belongs to a small group that believes people have the right to form their own complex relationships with multiple partners, the most vocal want the, uh, the, the, most vocal want the right to marry as a cluster. We have rights to love any way we want unless we are harmful to other people, said Love. Like the air we breathe, we have a right to be and to do it and say whatever is our full expression. And this, to me, is a civil right. The polyamory movement grew out of the communes of the late 1960s and the swingers of the 1970s. But today, with gay marriage legal in six states, some, such as Love, say their cause should be next. You know <sighs> okay. The, this nascent and yet small effort to legalize group marriage is likely to enrich conservative religious groups that upheld Proposition 8, California's ban on gay marriage. 
In hard-hitting ads, those groups charged that allowing gay marriage would open the door to all kinds of non-traditional relationships, including polygamists. Apparently, they were right. These groups, uh, marriage people, are certainly fringe, but clearly growing, said Glenn Stanton, director of uh, family formulation studies at Focus on the Family. Google the word polyamory and see how many groups there are, he told ABCnews.com, and look at their rhetoric. It is word for word what the same-sex marriage advocates employ in their effort to redefine marriage. Is it really a good idea to open this Pandora's box? But Love said polyamory is more about the spiritual and emotional connection between partners who in the her group are faithful, and it's not just about sex. The couple belongs to the group Loving More, which publishes a magazine and holds conventions and retreats for the like-minded. Founded in 1986, the organization has more than 15,000 on its global mailing list and 3,000 active members. Now we have the Internet and we can find each other, said Love. We are not odd fish in the community we live in. Polyamorous murder case shocks capital. Anyway, so there you have it. Uh, polyamory now is the uh, is the next civil rights movement. I mean, after the uh, after gay marriage is approved, then polyamory needs to be approved because that's a civil rights issue. Same logic. And polygamy is now needs to be approved because, again, it's the same logic. You open up the door to one and basically say, oh, why should we keep these people from being married? This is They just love each other. Well, you know, there's also a, well, is there a story about some woman who falls in love with landmarks and she changed her last name to Eiffel because she's, she's amorously in love with the Eiffel Tower? Ay-ay-ay, <sighs> you know, I mean... Again, what what is this indicative of? What this is indicative of is the fact that people cannot, cannot, cannot decide what is right and wrong based upon public opinion. There has to be an outside, above, transcending morality that decides what is right and wrong. And if that, if if all we're going to do is base our morality and ideas of right and wrong and define marriage based upon, hey, let's take a vote, and uh, if whatever 51% of the people say today, that's going to be our stand. But, you know, of course, everybody gets a vote, so we're going to vote on this every year, and, you know, and we'll just kind of go with whichever way the wind blows on this thing, right? It's a terrible way to decide what's right and wrong, and uh, for those of you... Um, who uh, you know, are considering you know in favor or closetly in favor of you know uh homosexual marriage and things like that you know again my question would be uh you know what's to keep uh just about any definition that anybody can come up with as a, a valid definition of of marriage polyamorous uh, want, want their civil rights too polygamists are going to be standing in line wanting their civil rights um yeah, name the combination it's it's just a matter of time you know i just wonder if uh the eiffel tower is capable of signing uh, a marriage certificate for you know for those people who have amorously fallen in love with it oh man all right okay when we come back we're up to on our first break we're going to uh i'm going to basically do a little uh spiel here if you would Making a decision to be a Jesus follower does not make you born again. 
And uh, I'm going to you know, spend a little bit of time in the scriptures, but also uh, use an analogy I've been working on uh, to this effect. Uh, anyways, and then we're going to look at uh, Tim Stevens and how he's redefined the terms worship and Christ-centered. And uh, so that now worship can include uh, playing Van Halen's uh, Eruption and a song that doesn't even mention Christ and or God. Um, and then uh, our sermon review today, uh, later in the ser- uh, in the program, is a sermon entitled Adventure by from a church called Abundant Life Church in Cummings, Georgia. So we got all kinds of stuff coming up here today. You don't want to miss it. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or look me up on Facebook or Twitter. My name on Twitter is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-beater system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. We live in a time when there are full-out attacks against the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. One particular threat that you need to know how to protect yourself from is the attack against the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement. J.I. Packer called this doctrine the heart of the gospel, and this doctrine is now being openly attacked by liberals and emergents alike. This is why Pirate Christian Radio is featuring the book Pierced for Our Transgressions, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. This book lays out the biblical underpinnings of this non-negotiable doctrine as well as its rich 
historical pedigree. After reading this book, you'll have a deep biblical understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross, as well as possess a sound biblical and historical defense against those who are attacking this important doctrine. Pierce for Our Transgressions is available at piratechristianradio.com and is only $25 plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds help to support Pirate Christian Radio. So log on to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith. Warning. This program could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church. Especially if your pastor isn't even preaching God's word and has decided that he's got more important things to do, like giving you life tips on how to make you a more satisfied American consumer. Or something close to that effect, even if you live outside of the United States. I mean, nothing. I mean, the church has nothing better to do than to teach you how to uh, be more happy in your marriage, how to be a better parent, how to how to uh, better manage your finances, to be more spunky in bed, or whatever it is that they come up with. Everything except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's what's going on in your church, listening to this program is going to cause you grief because I guarantee you, based upon the listener feedback that I've gotten over the year that we've done the program, uh, it's just a matter of time before you will not be able to tolerate that kind of preaching anymore from your pastor. And uh, so I warn you ahead of time, it's uh, one of the things that happens here. And uh, all right, I want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith, this is a listener-supported radio program. That means that uh, your financial support is vital for us to continue doing what it is that we do here at Fighting for the Faith. And if you are growing in your discernment, your biblical understanding, and are really having appreciation for the gospel and uh, the doctrines of the historic Christian faith and how they are supported from Scripture and defended, then uh, we need you to support us. Yes, we're in the summer slump. It happens to everybody, especially during bad economies. However, we're going to endeavor to persevere and continue to push through it. You can support us a couple of different ways, though. You can first visit FightingForTheFaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons. Uh, They are friendly and yellow, which makes them easy to spot, and that allows you to uh, make your gift available immediately, securely online. And uh, the other way to do it is to write the check, make it payable to... Uh, Fighting for the Faith, and send that gift to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, now, this next segment. Making a decision to be a Jesus follower does not make you born again. Remember, Jesus said that in order to be saved, you must be born again. Uh, Read John chapter 3. In fact, let's, uh, let's take a look at John chapter 3 real quick here together. Uh, and uh, just review the passage. Now, uh, verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
Now this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Uh, Jesus answered him, Truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I'm going to stop there for a second. Okay, Jesus is saying you have to be born again. Now, I'm going to make the claim that you making a decision to become a Jesus follower or a Christ follower, the modern parlance, does not. That is not synonymous with uh, being born again, biblically at all. Now, I'm going to start in a weird place, and we'll kind of build out from there. I'm going to start with Donald Trump. And you're thinking, uh, Roseboro, what are you talking about? You're going to start with who? You're going to start with what? Donald Trump. Okay, now... Work with me here for a second here. Um, If there's anybody I wouldn't mind being the son of, it would be Donald Trump. And Now, some of you are yelling at at your computers or your iPods, and you're going, What? Have you seen his comb over? He's a jerk. He fires people without even hiring him. Have you ever watched The Apprentice? This guy is a pompous, blah, 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 fill in the blank, right? Well, okay, just work with me for a second here. This is an illustration. Donald Trump, from my point of view, not a bad person to have as your father. Think about it. The guy's a billionaire, right? Um, Trump kids do well. Trump kids don't, um, let's say, uh, there's no direct descendant of Donald Trump is going to find himself poverty-stricken, and uh, in need of food and a hungry belly, uh, living in the toughest part of Hell's Kitchen in uh, New York City, right? That uh, A Trump kid is going to have literally the best education, the best breaks, the best opportunities. A Trump kid's going to do well in life. you got to admit it, right? So from a worldly standard, okay, being a child of Donald Trump would be like the bomb, right? It would be great. Okay, I can get used to the comb over. I don't, who cares about the comb over? The guy's loaded. And who cares if he's a little jerky, okay? You know, he's a powerful man. He's an alpha male, you know? So here's the deal. I am not, I know this is going to surprise a lot of you, I am not the son of Donald Trump. He's not my father, Right? So, um, how could I become Donald Trump's son? Would the way for me to become Donald Trump's son would be if I, let's say I went out and I went to Amazon.com and I purchased all of the books that Donald Trump has ever written, okay? Uh, you know, you know like The Art of the Deal. I mean, that's a classic, okay? Uh, it, or how about... Think big, make it happen in business and life. 
Okay, another fantastic. How about Trump University, Commercial Real Estate 101, How Small Investors Can Get Started and Make It Big by Donald Trump. Okay, so let's say that I went out and I and I purchased the entire collection of every book that Donald Trump has written. And I decided that I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to become a Trump follower. And I'm going to model my life after Donald Trump. And so I read everything that he's written, and I begin applying all of the principles that he teaches in his books. And I then, really, I, I, I read it and apply it, and I become a Trump follower. Does becoming a Trump follower make me a son of Donald Trump? No, it doesn't. Yeah, but but I, I, what if I was a really, really, really committed Trump follower? Okay, to where, you know, I was successful and I built up my own little empire and um, and as a result of it, uh, I was able to give credit to Donald Trump for teaching me all of these principles whereby I was able to make myself into a, a billionaire myself. And I was able to have dinner with Donald Trump, and he was, and, and, and it, w it was a really exciting dinner. Would that make me his child? His son? Uh, no. It would make me probably the world's greatest Trump follower, but I would still not be his Son, how could I become Trump's son? Well, there's nothing I can do to become a Trump son, is there? Nothing. Zero. Not one thing that I can do. I could even go and legally have my name changed to Trump. Think about it. Christopher... Michael, that's my middle name. My mom is the only one who uses that, by the way, only when she's angry. Christopher Michael Trump. See, I can go and I can have my name legally changed to, last name to Trump, right? If I were to have my name legally changed to Trump, would that make me a son of the Donald? Again, the answer is no. So then making a decision to be a Trump follower uh, and making a very firm decision that I'm not only going to read the, the, everything that Trump has written, but I'm going to apply it and I'm going to change my last name to Trump still doesn't make me a child of Trump. So now I've got a dilemma. Okay, Let's pretend for a second that my salvation, my eternal salvation, depends on me becoming a son of the Donald. How can I do that? My eternal salvation depends on me becoming a son. If I, if, if I die before Donald, before I become a son of Donald Trump, then I, I, I go to hell. Um... How could I there's what power do I have to make myself 
a true bona fide son of Donald Trump with all of the perks and privileges that truly go with being a son of Donald Trump. What leverage do I have to become a son of Donald Trump? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Reading his books, learning all of his principles, applying them, even being successful, changing my last name to Trump, having dinner with him, shaking his hand, getting his autograph, none of those things makes me a son of Trump. So what do I do? The only way I can become a son of Trump, the only way, is if Donald Trump makes a decision to adopt me. I am completely powerless. I have no power whatsoever. Nothing that I can hold over Trump, nothing I can do to earn it. Donald Trump, purely by his own mercy and grace, if he has any, um, would have to adopt me and give me the full privileges of his son. He has to be the one to do it. Okay? So when you hear people running around the Christian landscape talking about making a decision to become a Christ follower, that does not equal being born again. We come back to the text. Okay? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said that to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to read another passage. I've read it recently, but I'm going to come back to it. John chapter 1, starting at verse 9. The true light, that would be Jesus, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, he, he, that's he, God, God gave the right to become children of God. Children who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Born by the will of God. So to all who received Christ, who believed in his name, God gave the right to become children of God. Go back to my Trump analogy. The only way I could become a son of Trump is if Trump basically chooses to adopt me. He's the one who's who's choosing it. Christ says you have to be born again. And here in John 1, uh, 12, to all who believed in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, God gave the right to become children of God. So everyone who trusts in Christ, who has faith in Christ, becomes a child of God, becomes born again, not by choosing to be a Jesus follower, 
nor by even making a decision at all, because uh, 13 says, uh, these are children who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but the will of God. So God has to choose you. God chooses you. He elects you. And I'm not a Calvinist here, by the way, but this is what Scripture teaches regarding election. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who elects. God is the one who draws. God is the one who causes you to be born again. It's God's will that you be born again and that you believe in Christ. So you making a decision to become a Jesus follower does not make you born again at all. Scripture is clear on this. Only those who believe in his name. And even that belief is a gift from God. That trust, that faith is a gift from God. That's exactly what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 say. We read, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation, grace, and faith are a gift from God. It is not your own doing. It is not a result of work so that no one can boast. So when you hear people running around the landscape talk, trying to make, convince people to make decisions to become Christ followers... They're not, they are not helping that person in any way, shape, or form in regards to the big issue. The big issue is being born again. And that comes through the preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And through that preaching, Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Through the preaching of the gospel, through the means of grace, God grants, gives, imparts the gift of faith, gives the gift of faith to people so that they trust in him, so that they believe in him, so that they are born again, not of the will of any person, but by the will of God, by God's acting. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Christians are truly born again. And it is not their own doing. It has nothing to do with the decision that they made to be a Christ follower. Just like I can't choose to become a son of Trump by choosing to become a Trump follower. Instead, that, in order for me to become a son of Trump, Donald Trump has to will it. It has to be his decision to adopt me. And that's how it goes. Completely powerless. So this this thing that's running around the Christian landscape in America today, where these seeker-driven churches and emergent churches and emerging churches are trying to convince people to make decisions to become Jesus followers, that is not language that is synonymous with the biblical mandate of Jesus that people be born again. You cannot make that decision. So we have to preach the gospel and let God regenerate people and give them new birth. 
All right, moving along here. All right, final segment before we uh, finish up this hour. Okay, uh, uh, Tim Stevens of Granger Community uh, Self-Help and Life Improvement Center um, has redefined the terms worship and Christ-centered. He's recently done this on his blog. And um, let me read from Tim Stevens' blog. He says, When I was enjoying my family somewhere in the Caribbean, it appears that the folks back home got carried away, and they started the services like this. Let me play this so that you uh, understand what it is that he's referring to. Now, this is uh, audio from a video. I have this available, by the way, at the Museum of Idolatry, little11.com. And uh, this is a uh, a Midwestern guy um, who's girthy like me playing Eruption, uh, which was written by Van Halen, and then them leading off into an, another song. Well, listen, listen. By the way, you are listening to uh, a recent opening to a church service at Granger Community uh, Self-Help and Life Improvement Center uh, there up in uh, Granger, Indiana. Um, we continue. <clears throat>
Yeah, apparently Love's got a hold of this guy, or at least the, the author of the song. He, he used to run around and did, do bad things, but Love's got a hold of him, so something's changed. Since Love found him. You know, funny enough, I was on the Mockingbird blog today. Hang on a second here, let me pull this up. Uh, Mockingbird blog. By the way, if you don't, if you haven't been to the Mockingbird blog, it's 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 fantastic. Mockingbird blog. Let's see here. Duh. All right, hold on. I've got to uh, run into my uh, RSS reader here. Let's see. Mocking. There we go. Let's see here. Uh, Mockingbird. There we are. All right. Hold on a second here. On the Mockingbird blog today, they uh, they posted, funny enough, a uh, video uh, from the from the 1980s, a commercial where uh, Michael Jackson appeared on a Japanese uh, commercial for Suzuki, and uh, this was pre nose job Michael Jackson. And uh, let me play this for you. Uh, hang on a second here. Uh, for those of you who like Michael Jackson's music, I apologize for the low-quality sound from this YouTube video. In case you uh, can't see this, uh, I'm actually spinning around just like Michael Jackson and doing a moonwalk. Believe it or not, there's a point to this. All right, uh, I don't know if you heard that. Let me play it again. Michael Jackson is about to say, love is my message. Hang, hang on a second. Here we go. Michael Love is my message. There it is. Love is my message. So, uh, Mockingbird blog, by the way, if you would like to see the Mockingbird blog, it's a fantastic website. It's mockingbirdnyc.blogspot.com. All right, uh, so I come back to uh, the opening to uh, this Granger uh, self-help service, and um, they, they're singing the song about how love found me, and then we got the Michael Jackson thing where he says, love is my message. Now, I, I point all this out to read more of what T Tim Stevens was saying on his blog, and he says, I don't know how you are wired, but for me, this is worship. Uh, so listening to my uh, to listening to Van Halen's Eruption, which by the way has no lyrics, and a song that talks about love finding you and somehow morally improving your life, that is worship. He says nothing ushers me into the presence of God more quickly than what you just watched. It's excellent. It's passionate. It's Christ-centered. Christ-centered. Um. Tim, uh, just a real quick question for you there, Tim. Um, how can something be Christ-centered that doesn't even mention Christ? And uh, this this song that uh, you know they're singing, how love found me. I mean, Michael Jackson says his message is love. I mean, the, love found me. What if this is worship? What are you worshiping? I mean, it, it, it's difficult to tell. I can't divine what's being worshipped in this song. Yeah, but this reminds me of something from Lewis Carroll's uh, book, uh, Through the Looking Glass. 
we read of uh, this exchange between Alice and uh, Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty begins by saying, There's glory for you. And Alice said, I don't know what you mean by glory. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't, till I tell you. I meant there's a nice knockdown argument for you. Uh, but glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. Well, when I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said, in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, Alice said, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The, the question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master, that's all. A Alice was too much puzzled to say anything, so after a minute, Humpty Dumpty began again. They've a temper, some of them, particularly verbs. They're the proudest. Adjectives you can do anything with, but not verbs, however. I can manage the whole lot of them. Impenetra uh, impenetrability, that's what I say. Would you tell me, please, said Alice, what that means? Now you talk like a reasonable child, said Humpty Dumpty, looking very much pleased. I meant by impenetrability that we had... We had enough of that subject, and it would be just as well if you'd mention what you mean to do next, as I suppose you don't mean to stop here all the rest of your life. Uh, that's a great deal to make one word mean, Alice said in a thoughtful tone. What I, ma what I make a word do a lot of work like that, said Humpty, it, I always pay it extra. Uh, oh, said Alice, she was too puzzled to make any other remark. Ah, you you should see him come round me of a Saturday night, Humpty uh, Dumpty went on, uh, wagging his head gravely from side to side, from side to side, for to get their wages, you know, Alice didn't venture to ask what he had paid them with, and you'll see that uh, I can't tell you, uh, Lewis Carroll, uh, through the looking glass. So Humpty Dumpty basically means, makes words mean whatever he wants them to mean. So apparently uh, Tim Stevens, uh, one of the, quote, pastors at the uh, Granger Community Self-Help and uh, Life Improvement Center, has redefined worship now in such a way that it includes uh, uh, songs that um, have no lyrics, don't mention God or Jesus Christ, and not only that, it's Christ-centered even though it doesn't mention Jesus Christ at all. So how is it possible? It's real simple. Just change the meaning of the words. And when you do that, what happens? Words have no meaning. <sighs> Man, I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. So there you have it. It's it's uh, Humpty Dumpty and Alice uh, in uh, Lewis Carroll's The Looking Glass. The church apparently has now gone through the looking glass. Oh, boy. Anyway, all right, we are up on our second break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to launch into our sermon review. The name of the sermon is entitled Adventure. That's right, Adventure. I, I had no idea that Jesus came to solve the uh, the lack of adventure problem that apparently many people are suffering from. So we're going to hear about, and it's from a church entitled uh, Abundant Life Church. It, 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 I guarantee you it'll be, um, well, it's not going to be chock full of Bible. It's not going to be Christ-centered. Unless, of course, you use um, Tim Stevens' definition of Christ-centered. Then it's, I mean, it's as Christ-centered as they get. <clears throat> anyway, we'll be right back. If you'd like to email me, 
You can talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's uh, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or look me up on Facebook or follow me on Twitter and receive our subversive microblogging tweets. My name there is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. We live in a time when there are full-out attacks against the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. One particular threat that you need to know how to protect yourself from is the attack against the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement. J.I. Packer called this doctrine the heart of the gospel, and this doctrine is now being openly attacked by liberals and emergents alike. This is why Pirate Christian Radio is featuring the book Pierced for Our Transgressions, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. This book lays out the biblical underpinnings of this non-negotiable doctrine as well as its rich historical pedigree. After reading this book, you'll have a deep biblical understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross as well as possess a sound biblical and historical defense against those who are attacking this important doctrine. Pierce for Our Transgressions is available at piratechristianradio.com and is only $25 plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds help to support Pirate Christian Radio. So log on to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy today. Hour number two, fighting for the faith straight ahead. You know, I just thought of another reason why I should, you know, become a Trump follower so that I can become a son of Trump. <laughs> Which is not possible. But Trump, like, owns nine major golf courses now. See, if I was a son of Trump, I'd probably get to play Trump National for free. <laughs> All right, it's uh, that, that's it. <clears throat> Take two. I always love it when I trip over my own uh, tongue. It's just oh so fun and refreshing. Um, time for that portion of our program where we review sermons. This is uh, we do this not really for the point of showing how bad sermons are, although that's part of it. You will get to see how bad sermonizing in America has become. Um, but mostly we use this as a foil because it gives us, it gives me an opportunity to actually go in and do a, a, a correct exegesis and kind of untwist some of these things. Um, so uh, there's a lot of Bible teaching that goes on by me during sermon reviews. Uh, really, uh, in fact, I do more Bible teaching than a lot of these uh, Bible teaching pastors. Weird how the world works nowadays. So anyway, we're we're to that portion where it's time for our sermon review. Well, that means we need the sermon review update music. That's right. From the good, the bad, the ugly, we do it all here. 
Now, yesterday's sermon was a little bit of a, <clears throat> a sneaky one. I told you there would be gospel in it, but I didn't kind of tell you how bad the, the problem it was solving was. Today's uh, sermon, well... Well, what can I say? It comes from a church entitled Abundant Life Church. Already that should tell you something. Uh, the name of the sermon is Adventure. Yeah, Adventure. You know, because, you know, Jesus died on the cross so that you can have a sense of adventure. You know, you can't write... You know, you can't write comedy like this because... Uh, and there's nothing funny about it anymore. It's just obnoxious and terrible. It's like, what? The, it's like the church has completely decided that they're going to just ignore God's word. Uh, the pastor here from Abundant Life Church, his name is the Reverend uh, Mark Smith. And uh, Mark Smith, well, yeah, well... I, it's probably best if I just let you hear it. So uh, let me uh, pull this up on my computer screen. Hang on, uno momento, while I queue up the sermon for today. It, it, again, the name of the sermon is Adventure. Here's the Reverend Mark Smith. And I'm so excited about this series. It's called Adventure. I don't seem like lately God's just been giving me this one word like we 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 talk. Wait, 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 wait. Wow, that was short. Um, we barely even get into the sermon already. We got a problem with it. Anyone catch the problem there? The pastor begins the sermon by saying, God has been giving me this one word. Uh, you know, Pastor Smith, just offhand, um, 2 Timothy chapter 4 says that uh, pastors are supposed to preach the word, not the word that supposedly God is giving you directly, uh, but the word as recorded in Scripture. Yeah, you're supposed to actually preach the Bible. That that would be God's word. So already we've got a problem. If your pastor leads off a sermon with, I want to preach to you a word that God, that, that God has been giving me directly, stand up, walk out the door. Generally, nothing can, good can come of this. So let me back this up Let's so you can hear it in context. And I'm so excited about this series. It's called Adventure. I don't want to seem like lately God's just been giving me this one word. Like we, we, we talked about change, and now we're moving into adventure. And the reason that I'm preaching this, because I'm, I'm going to make a statement, and all of you are sitting here, you would, if we got really honest with me, you would say, well, you know what, you're right. Most Christians are bored today. What? what? Most Christians are bored today? Are, are we five years old here? Uh, I, you know, the last time I was bored, it, it, bored, I mean really bored, uh, was when I was a kid. Summer vacation. You know, I think back to, you know, summer vacation, junior high age. Uh, what are you going to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do today? I don't know. I'm bored. Well, we can watch TV. Oh, man, I don't want to watch TV because, like, you know, week, weekday, you know, what would happen? You know, well, what's on? Well, Price is Right is over, and all they have on right now is soap operas. I'm not going to watch a soap opera. Oh, I'm bored. I, I go to my mom. Mom, 
I'm bored. And my mom, she would say, well, why don't you read a book? I don't want to do that. I don't want to read a book. I'm, I'm, I'm bored, Mom. Why don't you go swimming? I did that yesterday. Um, how, why don't you go light yourself on fire in, in, the, in, in the front yard? Uh, I don't know. That, that might not be boring. Uh, will it hurt? Nah, it won't hurt. Just uh, put on a little uh, sunburn cream before you light yourself on fire. Okay. Yeah, I think I'll do that. What is the problem that this pastor is solving? He, he says that we would have to admit that most Christians are bored. Bored. Where does the Bible talk about this big boredom problem? What's the solution biblically to the boredom problem? Or is this just some really dumb, lame thing that exists only in, uh, only in pampered America? Yeah. Take this sermon and preach it to you know to people in the in in the, the slums of Guatemala. Yeah, Christians, are you bored here? What are you talking about? We can't even. Uh, Most Christians are sitting in church today are bored, and so we we get up and we try to do all these things. But the reality is, I believe that it's a tool that Satan has has has, has suddenly bringing into the church. We've got great music. We've got buildings, lights. We've got so many things. But the reality is... Yeah, how, would, how is it that somebody's going to get bored in church? These seeker-driven churches? I, I mean, it, it's a weekly rock and roll show. Maybe... They're... Most Christians that are sitting in the churches today are bored. In fact, I, I go along with what Helen Keller said. Helen Keller said that life is, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Hey, hang on a second here. Helen Keller said life is a daring adventure or it's nothing. Hold on a second here. Uh, Helen Keller. Seeing if she, she actually wrote this in the scripture. No, that's not in the Bible. Is Helen Keller a, a Bible author? Any? Well, we continue. You know, I found that very true in my life. I am most of life when I'm on adventure. I told my wife yesterday, I said, you know, honey, I said, yeah, and we look back at my life. And, and if you guys, if, if some of you know me for a long time, some of you only know me for a week. And, but I'm a risk taker. I like to do things. I've always been an overcomer. Uh, I am most alive, guys, when I am pursuing, I believe, an adventure that I break out, the, break out of the mundane and the routine of life and, and trying to play it safe all the time. But having a dream and just going for it, living for it. You know, the Olympics were just over. <laughs> he, wow, he's a risk taker and he's an overcomer. We could be just like Reverend Mark Smith. Yeah. Because, you know, he can quote Helen Keller and he's a risk taker and he's an over. How many of you people love the Olympics? One of the most exciting ones I've ever watched. I couldn't, I didn't do like Miss Marty. Miss Marty T-voted all of them and watched every minute of, of the Olympics. But I watched it. I was so excited about that. But you know what, 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 why was one thing I was excited about? Somewhere along their journey of life, they began to believe that they were going to do something, that they were going to be the best in the world. The best in the world. And so they trained when other people didn't want to train. They swam when other people didn't want to swim. They, they were some that were in their teens, and maybe a little bit earlier teens than what they were supposed to be. But, um, but anyway, some of them were in their 20s. Some of them were in their 30s. And there was this one lady that was in her 40s. 
You know, Torres, she was swimming for her dream. She, she's, y'all heard her say that, the, the comment one time when they were interviewing. She's 41 years old and said, you know, aren't you too old for this? And, and everybody was talking about how old she was. She said, you know, the water don't know how old I am. And so, you know, I love that in people. Do you hear the people saying amen? Woo-hoo. Yeah, the water don't know how old I am. Woo-hoo. There, the preaching pastor preaching. Uh, hey, uh, Pastor Smith, um, where is this taught in the Bible? Anywhere? Any? Is it me, or does it seem like uh, some pastors now, they don't even make any attempts to even uh, at least pay lip service to the Bible? At this point, what is is this even a biblical theme or a problem that he's set up? Love that adventure in people. But what was some, can you imagine what, what the, the, the feeling was that they trained when nobody else wanted to train? They were different ages. They were dreaming. And they believed they were going to be the best in the world. And some of the people, you know, were within one fingernail of winning a gold medal. But, you know, you got Michael Phelps who won more medals than anybody. And can you imagine the feeling when he stood on the podium and they placed that gold around him and began to sing the national anthem? It moved me every time. It moved me every time because somewhere they, they got a dream. Somewhere they began to live an adventure that was going to be greater than them in, in essence. And they began to go after it. And, you know, and sometimes in our life, I believe, guys, that in our personal life, and I look at my personal life, is that we get saved. We get saved, and then we begin to live out this, this Christian life out of our, our, out of our I, what I want to call out of our left brain. Our left brain is, is, is intellectual. It, it's, it's rational. Out of what I would call, out of what I would call, out of what I would call. I, who, who, hmm, he's preaching his own opinions. But the, you know, the people there at his church sure do love it. Well, it must be true then, because they're saying an amen. Uh, a problem. Uh, we, uh, Houston, we have a problem here. Um, uh, the job of a pastor, by the way, is to preach God's word. Uh, we're not hearing anything... <laughs> From God's word at this point, we're hearing a lot of uh, Pastor Smith's opinions. He, he is, um, he's not, he's not sermonizing, he's opinionizing. We continue. And we try to solve the will of God like a, like a crossword puzzle. And all that does is, is produce spiritual paralysis. And that's what's happening in, in the Um, We try to solve God's word like a crossword puzzle and all that does is cause spiritual paralysis hang on a second here i'm uh, going back to my computerized bible um hang on spiritual paralysis nope it's not in there it's it's not in the bible i just hmm world today, I believe in the churches, is that we live, and nothing wrong with getting a plan, nothing wrong with getting a foolproof, but, but we try to plan this whole thing out, and we want to make sure that it's safe, there's no danger, there's no risk, there's no way that I can fail, and if we can plan all that out, then we'll do it, and oh God, we give you all the glory. I'm being honest with you. What is he talking about? Come on. And so, we, so we, 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 what's happened over there is that's, that's produced spiritual paralysis in our life. And so then we get used to just coming to church and go through the routine and the mundane of church. Like I said, I've been most alive when I've been pursuing a dream, when I've been pursuing an adventure. Many I've been most alive when I've been pursuing a dream, when I've been... Okay, hang on a second here. Imagine, if you would, that you uh, go and you visit your doctor. Okay? 
Um, and you go to the doctor and you say, you know, doctor, you know, um, right here under my right arm, it it really hurts. It's tender to the touch, and and I've noticed that I don't have a lot of energy lately. And and you know, can you tell me what what the problem here is? And the doctor would say, you know, well, I think what you may be suffering from is uh, movement paralysis. Really, movement paralysis. Um, can you show me that in the physician's desk reference? Uh, I've never heard of that. Hang on a second. Let me look that up on WebMD. Movement paralysis. Doctor, I've never heard of this before. It's not on WebMD. I can't find it in the physician's desk reference anywhere. What are you talking about? Well, I, uh, I, I think that the reason why your right arm hurts and, and why it's tender to the touch right there is because, uh, you know, the, your, your, your scatzofrats is, uh, is t- two notches turned too far to the right. My what? My scatzofrats? Oh, what's a scatzofrats? Well, you know, it's, 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 that's that part of you that's connected to the, uh, uh, the hemographinomer. The what? The hemographinomer. What's a hemographinomer? I, I, doctor, I don't understand what. Where are you getting these things from? Well, you just got to understand. You you got to listen to me. I'm a doctor. I know what I'm talking. I've been to medical school, and uh, I definitely know that your scatzofrats is 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 being affected by hermi- your hemographinomer. Okay. Um. Yeah. If your doctor did that to you, um. A medical malpractice suit would probably be in line, and he would probably lose his medical license if he was pulling stunts like that. Here we've got the Reverend um, Mark Smith pretty much doing the spiritual equivalent of what I've just described to you. He's talking in his opinion. In his opinion, you know, you could suffer from spiritual paralysis. Mm-hmm. That's like saying that your scatzofrats is uh, turned too far clockwise to the right by two clicks. If you know, I mean, if you don't know, in 2000, before that time, I was a successful UPS truck driver. Amen. But I was friends. Listen to this story. I want you to listen to what he's saying. Well, one FedEx guy. I didn't even know it, but we were in the spirit realm. We were going to meet one day, and uh, and we were going to meet. But I was delivering brown boxes, and, and I, was, I was good at it. I missed one day of work in 15 years. I'm not boasting, but I was good. I'm going to go ahead and tell you I was the best driver in that building. I'm not boasting, but I'm telling you I was good. I, I'm... You know, I hate it when people do that. You know, I. by the way, I just want to let everybody know that I am the world's most humble person, and I am so proud of that. I was. I was the best driver in that building. But there was something on the inside of me when I was saved and I feel the Holy Ghost. Lord, there's something else you want to do with me. I'm 15 years into this career, and I'm feeling empty. I don't have no purpose. I told Laquita, all I do is deliver brown boxes and come home. And then one day God began to call me, and he... Uh, all I do is deliver. Uh, I, folks, if you deliver uh, boxes for UPS, you deliver. Thank the Lord. I, I am so thankful for the FedEx guys, for the UPS guys, and for the postman. You know, where would what would happen if we did not have people serving their neighbor in this way? It doesn't seem sexy now, does it? But you know what? It is exactly a, a, a perfectly wonderful way, a perfectly wonderful vocation and way to serve your neighbor. Because I don't know about you all, but there are some 
times when I have very important packages that need to get to me quickly, that need to get to me by a particular day. And without the postman, without the UPS guy, without the FedEx guy, uh, my life, there would be some serious ramifications, bad ones, if I didn't get these things when I got them, you know, got them on time. So I thank God for these guys, and he's talking them down. He was one of them. Made an exchange where I wasn't going to be delivering toting brown boxes anymore, but I was, being, I was going to be toting the black Bible. I wasn't going to be delivering brown boxes anymore. I was going to be delivering his word. And I went on adventure. I remember, the, I remember that. I, I was thinking about it. And, and, I, and, and it was in February where I knew I called. And I said, Laquita, I'm not going to milk this thing out. And in May of 2000, I remember the day that I walked out of that UPS facility, the day I know that it was over, it was over. And it wasn't going to go back. I walked away from a retirement. I walked away from safety. I walked away from normality. I clocked in and clocked out and went home and never gave it another thought. I well, good for you. And why is your life somehow normative uh, in such a way that now I've got to do the same thing? And anybody who's listening to you in your church has to do the same thing. D doesn't Paul tell us in Thessalonians to uh, quietly work with our hands, you know, make a living? pay for our food, you know, things like that. I had a good life, and I was walking out, and I was thought that all this weight was going to fall off of me, and I was just going to feel good. I was scared more than I've ever been scared in my entire life. I just told my boss by, I turned my stuff in, and I remember walking out to my car and thinking, my Lord, son, what have you done? You've got a wife, you've got children, and you're going to try to explain it. You're turning 40 years old. and You, you know, I hate to say this, uh, Pastor Smith, but you should probably go back to UPS. It sounds like you were good at that. You're not good at preaching. You want to tell people you're going into the ministry and you're going to do this and do that. Son, you've lost your mind. And I said, Lord, I have. I have. Because I can't think how this thing is going to work. And, and, and you know, and, and I look at that and I thought, well, man, I've done all this. Now the, the windows of heaven are going to go open up. The waterfalls of his glory and his power is going to come flowing into my life. And I'm going to just knock the world out for him. Well, you know, we started the church in, uh, in, in 2001, in August of 2001, and we had some great things to happen. We had a lot of growth. Uh, I was telling my wife last night, we had a lot of growth. We were running over 230, 250 people, and things were just happening. I remember uh, early on that we, we thought we could really change this whole community. We've been here two months, and we get this gentleman named Chad Varga to come in, and we're going to go touch all the high schools and middle schools and all of Forsyth County. And somehow, some way, we get him in, and, and we start calling these people they don't know me i don't have any reputation in forsyth county hey call up and say we'd like to do a uh uh, uh, uh an assembly at your school we're not going to make it any churchy thing the only thing we'd like to do at the very end say if you want to know more about his story come to our church we're going to give away a car and so we got in a lot of middle schools and a lot of high schools and this field out here was vacant out to the left and we brought in this big old flatbed truck 18 wheel uh, uh flatbed truck and and we set a band up on that and we set a lot of things up on that and we had i don't know how many teenagers coming you know 1700 you have to fill that fill up and and he's up there preaching the gospel we got a hundred people a couple of hundred people saved 91.5 was here and we, i mean it was just it was just happening man i mean i'm looking out there and, bless god you're in this thing you know and and then we go to india and then we go to i go to syria and, and preach in churches and go to travel and been to egypt on the on the uh uh um you know ride an arabian horse across the desert and and to israel and and the jail ministry prison ministry and i wish i could tell you everything was just look i mean it was awesome but on the same token you don't ever hear the stories of what that journey also took in our life we had people walk in said man pastor i'm gonna be with you man i believe in what you're doing 
I love what you're doing. I thank God that, that God's with you and God has called us this place. But I say something maybe from the pulpit they don't agree with and they offend, they leave. I don't tell you about the time. I can't imagine that from you. I mean, maybe if you actually preached God's word, it would help. Uh, so far, no appearance of God's word yet in this sermon. Lots of uh, opinionizing, uh, but not any real sermonizing. Sometimes I lay bed at night and, and I see our church peak up in growth. And I think, man, God, you're moving, it's happening. And all of a sudden I see it start dropping, dropping, dropping. And I feel like such a failure. I don't tell you about those times. I don't tell you about the times of the anxiety on Friday and Saturday night when I'm begging God for a word on Sunday. I don't need just any word. I... You're begging God for a word? Open your Bible. Oh, man need your word, God. And I lay in bed and, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm studying, I'm praying. I get up early in the morning and ask my wife on Saturday nights. I normally typically don't like to go anywhere. And, 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 and I'm getting there and I need the word of God like fire shut up in my bones. And, 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 and I get here and, and it's just like you. sometimes you fight all the demons of hell when you're up here at the pulpit. Some stuff goes off with the sound. Something happened here. Something happened in there. But you know what? You're so passionate about what God's called you to do that you can't. There, there's no option. I can't go back to Egypt. I can't go back to UPS. I can't go back there. You know, I got to keep going forward. But I knew what was burning on the inside of me is this adventure. And sometimes it, it, it seems like I've, I, I've been chasing like a wild goose. I really have. I feel like I've been chasing like a wild goose chase. I don't know if you've ever been on a wild goose chase, but I feel like much of my life has been something like that. I'm reading a book right now that's incredible. It's called Wild Goose, and that's why I bought it. Oh, man. Okay, so this is now turning into a sermon on Mark Batterson's book, uh, Chase the Wild Goose. You know, when I was a kid, um, the wild goose chase was not a positive thing. If you were on a wild goose chase, you were spinning your wheels, chasing after something, basically wasting your time. Uh, some clever seeker guy has now made chasing the wild goose a, a positive thing. I I look at this and go, you know, Satan was probably sitting around going, yeah, I got one for you. I'll get these guys thinking that having a wild goose chase is a positive thing, and the other and his demon buddies going, no way, they're not that stupid. And, and Satan going, oh yes, they are. Watch me do it. And then he goes and does it, and now you got Christians sitting there going, chase the wild goose. Let's go on wild goose chases and. And uh, Satan is telling his demon buddies, come on, buddies, pay up. And they're all going, oh, man, how could they be so stupid? <sighs> but he said the Celtics Christians had a name for the Holy Spirit. And I can't even pronounce the name. But it means wild goose. And some of you say, well, Mark, that's sacrile sacrilegious. You're calling the Holy Spirit a wild goose. But, you know, many times in my life, I had no idea where I was going or what was right around the corner. All I knew, guys, that I was just chasing God. And it's so... And chasing God, you know, there was things that, that I wish I could tell you that it was A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A. And, and I knew every step that I took that, that I knew what it was going to look like when I, when I landed in doing that. But what I realized, guys, that it takes faith to please God. And if you, you always know what's always right around the corner. Whoa. Hey, hey, wait a second. Did you hear how he twisted uh, Hebrews 11 there? Wow, let's uh, let's uh, open up our Bibles and take a look at what it is that he just misquoted. Uh, Hebrews 11. Uh, by the way, uh, without basically Hebrews 11:6 says, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God." 
he just turned faith into a work. He just turned it, basically he's defining it as you having to live an adventure to get out of your comfort zone. That's how he's interpreted it. But that's not what the passage says. Hebrews 11, we'll start at verse 1, because remember our three rules of correct biblical interpretation are, are context, context, and context. And from there, words mean things. And they have meaning in context. Uh, faith, uh, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith has an object. We trust in something. The assurance of things hoped for. What are we hoping for as Christians? Are we hoping to live a life of adventure? No. That's not what this is referring to. What are we hoping for? Salvation. The return of Christ. God fulfilling his promises, forgiving us of our sins, and declaring us righteous before all the world. Because we are in Christ, and he, his righteousness is imputed to us as if we're the ones who lived it. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Why? We, we don't see these things. Uh, when I say to you, your sins are forgiven. Christ died for your sins. Uh, are sins something that you can physically see? Not exactly, no. I mean, you can see the behavior. But when I say that you have forgiveness of sins in Christ, that's not something you can see. It's something you can only believe and trust in. You can only believe and trust the proclamation to be true. The proclamation of the good news that you your sins are forgiven in Christ. He died for your sins. You can't see it. Yet, by faith, you are assured and you have the conviction that it's true. For by, the pe- for by it, that's by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should uh, not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Only Christians are the ones who seek God because we have been given faith and that seeking comes only to Christians. Non-Christians are sinful by nature and do not seek God. So uh, Reverend Smith here just basically made a quick, quick reference to Hebrews 11, 6. And he redefined it, and as a result of it, completely twisted this passage into saying something that it doesn't say. If you always know with every step where it's going to come down, what's going to happen, I'm going to believe that's not faith. That's not faith. And so this, this journey that I'm on, sometimes it does. It seems like a, a, wild, a wild goose chase. I, there was a Spanish, uh, on a Spanish Sprite can, and, and guys, may, those that are Spanish, I cannot pronounce this word. Come here, pronounce it. Get close to me. It's on a Spanish sprite can. It says, 
Otro día, otra aventura. You know what that means? Another day, another adventure. It's on the Sprite can. I love that. Another day, another adventure. And see, that's the deepest longing in the human heart is this longing for an adventure. And if you take the Holy Spirit out of your life... What? The deepest longing in the human heart is, the, is, is this longing for adventure? Uh, excuse me, uh, Pastor Smith, where does it say that in the Bible? Because if it was in the Bible and you wanted to quote it from the original languages, it wouldn't be in Spanish. It would either be in Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, but it wouldn't be in Spanish. If you take the Holy Spirit, the equation out of your life, what you've got is a very boring life. B-O-R-I-N-G. Oh, no. Gasp. Can you imagine being relegated to having to live a boring life? The, the terror, the horror. Not the boring life. No, not that. It, you know, it's boring. There's this, in the story of the wild goose chaser's pastor that goes to this exotic island right outside of Ecuador, and he sees the animals, and they're, and they're, they're untamed, they're uncivilized, and they're uncaged. He sees them in their natural habitat, and he is just blown away by it. I mean, just can you imagine just seeing these, these exotic animals in their natural habitat? He goes back to Washington, D.C., where he pastors, and one day he goes to the Washington National Zoo. Jeff and Lynn, I'm sure you've been there, the Washington National Zoo, and, and he goes by, and he looks through this plexiglass window and he sees this 400 pound gorilla just sitting there just looking at him and he made this statement he said he, he said when he came across he said I wonder if churches do to people what zoos do to animals oh man I wonder if oh you gotta be kidding me I wonder if churches do to people what zoos do to animals you take people out. Well, if they do, then this kind of preaching is what does it. Out of their natural habitat and try to tame them in the name of Christ. We try to remove the risk. We remove the danger. We remove the struggles. We try to remove the risk? The dangers? What? What are you talking about? And what we end up with are caged Christians. To me, listen, to, to, you know, these, these, these tame parts, they grow accustomed to the safety of the cage. These untamed parts long for some danger, some challenges, some adventure in our spiritual journey. The... <laughs> uh, I hate to say this, folks. Uh, do you have a boring Christian life? You may be a victim of being caged in at church because you don't have risk in adventure. Because that's what Jesus wants you to have, is risk. And, oh, man. Safety of the cage of... Uh, Bible verses would do here, please. Predictability no longer satisfies us. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you, this is true. What I'm sharing with you today is deepest theology you'll, never, you'll ever hear. Oh, baloney. This isn't theology at all. This is just absolute... It, it, this is stupid. Idiotology. This is dumbology. This is d ridiculous. This isn't deep theology. If it was theological, it would actually be biblical. Show me from Scripture where this deep theology of the adventure is taught. You want to go hear some deep word? I'm, I'm giving you a deep word right now. I'm giving you a deep word right now. No, you're not. This is, that's, it's, it's not even a word. It, it, it's neither shallow nor deep. It's not even a word.
now. If I went around this room and most of you have gotten saved, and you've been saved for a long, some of you have been saved for a long, long time. You know what? You like the safety of predictability in, in your life. And you come in and we put our, our, our flavor on you a little bit. We put these things on you and we get you coming to church. You know when to give. You know when to raise your hand. You know. Uh, okay. Uh, the, the, the new 11th commandment. Thou shalt not have the safety of predictability. Thou, thou must have adventure and risk. I want to do this. And you get into this cage of what I call of, of, of just predictability. But inside your heart, there's a longing for more. There's a longing to come out of this cage. Of no, there isn't. Not in my heart. I would like predictability. I've had adventure before. Uh, the the adventure of not knowing where, how I'm going to pay my bills. <laughs> yeah, that I don't. I prefer predictability when it comes to being able to pay my bills. I, I don't know about you guys. Predictability and the thing that will open up that cage in your life and to get you to come out when you realize that Jesus didn't die to make you safe. Jesus died to set you before you be dangerous. <laughs> Where does it say that in the scripture? Uh, uh, Jesus didn't die to make you safe. Jesus died to make you dangerous. Really? Um, uh, Snake oil salesman comes to mind. Jesus died to, to make you dangerous. What do you mean, pastor? Let me say that again. He said, I think guys, when you recognize that Jesus didn't die on the cross to keep us safe, Jesus died to make us dangerous. Jesus died on the cross to propitiate God's wrath and die for my sins and to be punished in my, really, in my place, in your place. Has not, danger and safety doesn't play into it. Unless, of course, you're talking about the dangers of hell, the danger of facing the wrath of God. In that case... Christ came to bring me safety, not danger. Uh, this, oh man, uh, this is an exact. This is exactly why you should not be going to a church where the pastor is not preaching God's word, because it's like having an attorney who is not ha, doesn't have a license to practice law, or visiting a physician who uh, got his uh, medical degree uh, from a website diploma mill. To make us think, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, in our natural habitat out there, when you, before you were saved, you were living, you were having adventure, you were doing things, and, and you were living. But then you get saved, and all of a sudden, we take you out of your natural habitat where God has saved us to go change the world. God has saved us that we would go into the four corners of the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, great, great. I agree. You got, what God wants us to go to all nations and preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. That's what Luke 24 says. Uh, that being the case, uh, Reverend Smith, why aren't you preaching the gospel here in this sermon? Just wondering. Hmm... God has put, placed giftings and talents and callings in your life for you to go back out there and, and, and change the world. That's why the Bible said he's filled you with the Holy Spirit to be his witness, to go change the world. But what we do, we want to change the world in here. We want to have great services in here. But the, men, the, the venture in doing what God's wanted you to happen. It, it makes me wonder, did this guy spend any time in a legitimate seminary? After leaving UPS and before going into Christian ministry, 
you know, I don't, I don't encourage betting and gambling. However, if I were a gambling man and a wagering type of person, my money would be on him never having attended seminary or have, even having a legitimate Bible degree at this point. Uh, and if he does have, uh, if he did go to a seminary and he did uh, actually earn a degree in religious studies and biblical languages and things like that, um, then I think he probably should sue and get his money back. Is out, it's outside the walls. And so he's died to, to make you dangerous, to get out there in the natural habitat of where you live and do great and mighty things for God. There was a question that came across the other day that I was reading. He said, do, the question was, do angels yawn? Yawn. Especially, you you got to be kidding me. Uh, one of, by the way, in theological circles, which I happen to have, I happen to run in myself, having a theological degree. Um, but of course, I'm the world's most humble person, and I'm very proud of that. Um, just wanted to let you know that uh, one of the mocking things that we talk about theologically is really dumb theological questions like how many angels can dance on the head of a needle. That is the quintessential dumb theological question. Uh, second only to this one, uh, do angels yawn? Oh, boy. Well, well do they yawn? Well, Pastor Smith, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible say anything about angels yawning? Hmm. No, it doesn't. So it's a dumb question that's not even answerable from God's Word. To guardian angels. Someone wants some, you know, many of our guardian angels are in the unemployment line up in heaven. Really, our guardian angels are up in the unemployment line up in heaven. Can you substantiate this from God's Word? I mean, you and your deep theology here. Um, Bible backing would help. They're just waiting on you to do something dangerous so they can do something. They're begging you to do something so they can come on your behalf. Really? Uh, my guardian angel is just waiting and begging for me to do something dangerous so he can because he's unemployed. Uh, I, I, I'm so sorry. Those of you Christians out there that are not risking everything and are not living life on the edge and have been domesticated and like like zoo animals at church. Um, apparently, you're ruining the economy of the angels, and now your 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 poor homeless guardian angel is sitting on the side of a heavenly highway with a sign up saying, we'll guard for food. I mean, that's my title. We're guardian angels, and, and let's God, you ain't doing nothing. And they're, they're bored just as you are bored, and they're begging you and I to do something dangerous. You said, Mark, Mark, you've you, you, you gone overboard. But see, the, but you look at this. I'm going to tell you something. Hear what I'm saying. I'm, I'm in the midst of what I'm sharing with you. It's going to come It's going to be a light bulb for some of you. This Sorgin Kierkegaard, I love many of his quotes. He said this. He believed that boredom is a... <laughs> Sorgin Kierkegaard. I love many of his quotes. Have you ever read any of Kierkegaard's uh, works, by the way? Uh, really, the father of the modern existential movement. and uh, Lutheran to boot. Hmm. Root of all evil. He believed that boredom is a root of all evil. I, I, I agree with him. I don't think money is a root of all evil. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> Soren Kierkegaard says boredom is the root of all evil. Okay, hang on a second here. Um, root and 
evil. Doing a Bible word search here, by the way, using my computerized Bible. I use Accordance for the Macintosh, by the way. Um, let's see. Uh, root. Uh, you know what I need to find? Money is what I'm looking for. Hang on. Money. Love of money. That's what it is. Love of money. Don't know the the address for this. Here we go. First Timothy chapter six verse one. Paul. I mean verse ten. Paul writes, "For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil." Notice that uh, Pastor Smith here just quoted Kierkegaard. I doubt he's ever read uh, any works by Kierkegaard uh, at length. Uh, basically saying that he believe that Kierkegaard believes that boredom is the root of all evil, and he said, "I don't believe that money is the root of all evil." Yet Scripture says, First Timothy chapter six verse ten, "For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil." Uh, notice that he's uh, decided to defer, you know, n- not to actually preach the Bible or anything that it actually says and teaches, and he's laid that aside, kind of poo-pooed it, and. Decided he's going to put the Kierkegaard quote higher up in the hierarchy of truth because he agrees with it. Mm-hmm. Money, we try to get money to buy adventure. We try to get money to have a title. We try to get money to go to this place, get go, 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 go. And none of that thing ever satisfied us because we're bored. And see, I'm going to tell you something. Hear me, you, this is worth writing down. You cannot simultaneously live by faith and be bored. You can't not simultaneously live by faith. Only if you de- redefine faith as something that has to do with living life it, basically on the edge, not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. By the way, that's not the biblical definition of faith. Faith is childlike trust in Christ and Him crucified for your sins. I just want to let you see what he's redefined faith. He has no concept of anything really biblical, doctrinal, or theological. And be bored. They clash like nothing that I've ever seen in my life. You can't do it. You cannot be bored living by faith. If I stood up today, in fact, I'm going to do it. People that are 30 years and younger. People, if you're 30 and under, I want you to stand up. If you're 30 and under. 30 and under. Paul. I saw you start to lie before the Holy Ghost. He'll, he'll strike you down right there. Lying to the Holy Ghost in the church. 30 and under. 30 and under. Amen. Right, I'm going to tell you something about this group. Number one, you can't even, you don't, you can't even speak till you turn 31. You ain't got nothing to say. <laughs> you don't have the right to say anything. No, I'm just teasing you. But I promise you, if you sit down with these guys, guys, they operate more out of the right brain than they do the left brain. They really do. And what they do, you know what? We're losing this generation. Hear me, church. We're, we're, we're losing this one. Yeah, because you're not preaching the gospel. The, you've, uh. And why we're losing this one? Because they come into the church and we're tamed and we're civilized. Oh, no, we're tamed and civilized. Then we're going to lose the next generation. Would you just be quiet, put your opinions away, open up the Bible and start preaching it? And we're caged. But on the side of them, they're longing for an adventure. They're longing to this. You know what, God? You just didn't save me to come in and sing Kumbaya. You saved me to come in to go change the world. And I am world changer and history maker. And I believe that there's... Uh, where does it say in the Bible that uh, we're supposed to go out and change the world? I thought the, the, the world part of it has to do with we're to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And... and uh, 
preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nations. Hmm. Michael Phelps. In Jesus' name, by the way. It's in the spirit realm of people in this room. I believe there's Billy Graham type people in this room. I believe that, that, that there's Mother Teresa's in this room. You know, but what we do is, is we want to make everything safe and everything nice and everything comfortable for you. And all we do is, is we get you in this cage and we begin to rub on you and tame you. Saying this, this is where you're supposed to be in this cage. Don't do nothing right. So the next Mother Teresa, and he said Mother Teresa's plural. Um, the next two, three Mother Teresa's apparently are abiding at Abundant Life Church. And uh, see, he's at this point uncaging them so that they can go out and be wild and adventurous. For Jesus, don't get outside and 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 you know what you may fail and everybody's going to look at you. No, no, no. Just stay into this cage and we get you a little bit more mature. Shame on us. Now y'all sit down. Now the thirty and older stand up. Stand up. Stand up. I right, look at this. The reason I want you to see we got more thirty and older than we do. You know what? Pastor Chris showed me, gave me a statistic the other day. There's 20,000 teenagers in this community that ain't going to church. 20,000. Well, Mark, man, look how many North Point's got. And look how many First Redeemers got. And look how many Free Chapels got. And look how many First Baptists has got. And First Methodists and First Presbyterian got. Guys, there's 20,000 teenagers in this area that ain't going to church. And you and I, I'm not leaving you out 30 years old. But you and I have got some things to do. Because you and I have got a thing to do. Don't you sit down. That's going to get on you a whole lot more than that. But I afraid y'all get up and walk out on me. And y'all my givers. No, I'm just teasing. But, uh, but you look at that. You look at you. You look. You begin to think. You know, many of you. Many. I'm telling you right now by the spirit of the Lord. I know if I sit down with most of you, that, that, that those that stood up the second time, you're bored. You're bored with church. You're bored with life. And I, and I know that, and, and, and so I want to be... Yeah, I'm definitely bored with this sermon because I ain't learning nothing about God's Word. You going to get to it all, all by the way, uh, there, Reverend Smith? <sighs> began to get you to begin this mold of, of really living by faith. Get something out there that you believe that God has placed on the inside of you, and bless God going for it. You know that... Uh... What did that sentence mean? I, I have no idea what that just meant. And see, he's defined living by faith as living an adventurous, pretty much reckless life. You know the old saying, no guts, no glory. We use that a lot in sports. No guts, no glory. Listen, if you ain't got the guts to step out on what God's placed in your heart, then you're robbing him of his glory. Um, um, well, if, if my subjective feelings then are the uh, way of verifying or learning the truth... Um, God's pretty much placed it on my heart to, you know, be a dad, be a father, be a be a husband, work for a living, you know, earn a paycheck, that kind of thing. You know, do something as adventurous as, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, you know, go and play around to golf. When my kids are around, go and play frisbee golf with them. You know, that's what he's laid on my heart. Nothing adventurous there. If you ain't got the guts to step out and the courage to step out on what God's placed in your heart, the dream, then you're robbing God of his glory. And, we and can you uh, substantiate that uh, glory robbing theory uh, any with any passage of scripture? One would be nice. 
half of, you know, maybe a sentence fragment from the scripture would be good at this point. Anything from the Bible might help. Can't do that, church. We can't, we, can't, we can't half-heartedly come into this thing and, and just say, you know what, I'm just going to coast the rest of the way on in. You know, and in fact, if you look at this, this book is full of wild goose chasers. This, <laughs> <laughs> this book is full of wild goose chasers. You know, it's, uh, hang on a second here. I'm going to Google, uh, hang on a second. Wild goose chase. Yeah, that's what I want. I, I want. I want the phrase itself. See if it has any meaning. Um, wild goose chase. Let's see if, you know, just phrases. Okay, wild goose chase. Phrases.org.uk. Let's see what they have to say here. Uh, wild goose chase, meaning a hopeless quest. Origin. This phrase is old and appears to be one of the many phrases introduced to the language by Shakespeare. The first recorded citation is from Romeo and Juliet from 1592. Romeo, switch and spurs, switch and spurs are all cry a match. Mercutio, nah, nay, if thy wits run the wild goose chase, I have done, for thou hast more of the wild goose in one of thy wits than I am sure I have in my whole five. Our current use of the phrase alludes to an undertaking which will probably prove to be fruitless. Clearly, wild geese are difficult to catch, or, understa or our understanding of them differs from that in uh, use in Shakespeare's day. The early meaning related not, not to hunting, but to horse racing, a wild goose chase, a chase in which horses followed a lead horse at a set distance, mimicking wild geese flying in formation. The equine connection was referred to in another early citation just ten years after Shakespeare's uh, Nicholas Breton's The Mother's Blessing from 1602. Esteem a horse according to his pace, but loose no wagers on a wild goose chase. So here we've got uh, <clears throat> Pastor, the, the Reverend uh, Mark Smith, uh, talking about all the wild goose chasers out there. And I just, the irony of this is just absurd. <sighs> the book is full of people who are wild goose chasers. And, and you and I get to read their story. Many of you get to read what they did by faith. And we get to read about it. And, and but you realize that God wants to do the same thing through you and I, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He wants to write his story through your life. Really, he wants to write his story through your life. Um, uh, passage would be good. Bible fragment, anything, anything for itself. We're like almost halfway through with the sermon. He has yet to get into God's Word, but he sure does like that wild goose chase. He wants to write his story through mine and your life. Just as we read about in here. We read about Paul. We read about Timothy. We read about, oh, we don't read about Heather. But, but, but let me tell you what God did through Heather. Well, we don't read about Laquita in here. But let me tell you what God did through Laquita. Oh, Janie and Chris, y'all have only been saved. Stop talking about Heather and Laquita and start preaching uh, the Word. You know, the biblical authors. <sighs> A few times. Man, he's so excited about his pen that he's got out with you guys. Because y'all just ruthless and, and, and crazy enough to do what he said. But he, he's wanting to write his story through your life. Christian, you're young. You're full of faith. You got passion. 
you got passion. But you know what he gets to do? This is what's so neat about God. As much as he wants to do great and mighty things through our life, and he's got a canvas of our life, a blank canvas, he gives you the brush and says, paint what you want out of life. Paint what you want out of life. Where's this canvas brush uh, thing mentioned in Scripture? Anywhere? I'll get behind it. Paint what you want out of your life. Well, a lot of us get the brush in our hand. There was a story about this Madonna of the future. And, and, and the story is that she was an artist and, and that she committed her life to one painting. One painting. And when she died, everybody was excited to see that one painting that she, that she had committed her life to. Day in and day out, they saw her go back there, go back to the room and paint. She didn't let anybody see. And if the story goes that she died, everybody was excited to see the, the, the painting. Well, they go rushing into the room. They pull the thing off the, the, the canvas. There's nothing painted on the canvas. Nothing was painted on the canvas. And nothing will change in mind in your life until we take the first step. You may have the potential of Michael Phelps. You may have the potential of Billy Graham. And until you take the first step and begin to, to paint upon the canvas of your life, you'll get to the end of your life. You know what? And you may try to do a whole lot of other things. But until you fulfill the passion that God has placed in your heart, you're not going to be satisfied. But it's Oh, for heaven's sakes. You know, Augustine, I think, wrote about the God-shaped hole in man's heart. Now, apparently, uh, it's not a God-shaped hole. It's it's a purpose-shaped hole. And you're not going to be satisfied until you, uh, you discover that purpose and live that dream for your life. Give me a break. Start somewhere by, by taking the first stroke of, 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 the, of the painting and begin to paint, you know, whatever you want, whatever you believe in God out of your life. And, and so I looked at that and, 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 I, and, and you said, well, Mark, what's the big deal? You, you preach, you go to India, you go to the Philippines, you go to, to, to the bridges, the jail, those kinds of things. You... Here we go, preaching about himself again. Do those things. Look, we'll, we'll help you and we'll cheer you on, that boy. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something. What is, what is, what, what is the seriousness of, of your life and my life if we don't step into what God's called us to do? Listen, when you like the courage to chase the wild goose, the costs are staggering. Who might not hear about the love of God if you don't seize the opportunity to tell them? Yeah, funny that you would ask that question. Um, how come you're not telling people about the love of God? I just wanted to point out the fact that you're telling people that they need to chase the wild goose and, you know, maybe go tell people about the love of God, but um, uh, you're not telling anybody about the love. You're not even telling anybody about anything the Bible says at this point. Uh, this is... Uh, this entire sermon, of, for lack of a better way of putting it, is pure mythology. We could also say that it's really a complete man-made mythological fairy tale, vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, you know, a fractured fairy tale. This whole chase the wild goose thing—it ain't in the Bible. It's just a fairy tale designed by Satan to keep his victims comfortable and entertained still if you would until that point when he can pounce on them and devour them who might be stuck in poverty or stuck in ignorance or stuck in pain or sickness if you're not there to help them 
Where might the advancement of God's kingdom in this world stall out because you weren't there on the front line? God's kingdom is advanced when men actually go out and do what Jesus said. Preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. What is this other stuff? I don't know what you're talking about. When we turned the story last week out of Numbers chapter 16, those that were here, incredible story. God set this series up so well through Ken Jocelyn. And he tells this story about Moses and, and there's a plague that, that had hit and God was just going to wipe everybody out. People started dying. And Moses goes to, to his servant and he said, you know, go, go uh, uh, take the sense of the fire. And he said, run quickly, run quickly. Go run quickly. You remember that last week? And stand between the living and the dead. And the plague was stopped and, and, and people were healed. Guys, what we've got to do in this hour that we're in. Guys, we can't be lethargic. We can't be complacent. But God has called this church to literally stand between the living and the dead. The living and the dead. And he's taking people that are full of the fire of the Holy Spirit. And we got maybe with our limited knowledge and, the, and our age and all these things that, that whether you're young or whether you're old. And God has placed something in your hand and he's saying run with it. Run with it. Stand between the living and the dead. Go make a difference in this world. And make a difference in the world. Um, go make a difference in the world. Um, okay, yeah. You know, game shows make a difference in people's lives. Especially if they win. Um, you, I can, you and I cannot afford to be uh, just, just, just in our cage because people are waiting on you and I. People are waiting on us. Well, Mark, I don't know. Man, I, I, where's the scripture? Man, you ain't even shared any scriptures. We'll do that. Let's go to one. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, you might want to, you know, bring out the Bible. You maybe baptize your sermon uh, with a little bit of scripture. Can't wait to hear how you're going to twist it, though, because uh, we've already seen what you're capable of doing here in the Scripture twisting category. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It's an incredible story. All the, words, all the ones in the Bible. But I want to show you. I want to show <laughs> So that's what you have to say in preparation for us to hear from Mark chapter 10. And it's an incredible story. It's just, i got to tell you, it's the best story ever. Mark chapter 10. Um, hang on a second here. I need to switch to verse mode. Here we go. All right, I'm, I'm there. I, I, I'm, I can't wait to hear it. Let's, let's, let's go. I'll show you some things that I think you're going to begin to, to capture. You know the story of, in, in Mark chapter 10. This is about the, the, um, the, um, the rich young ruler. Let me, back, let me read verse 17. And now, he was, now, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him, talking about Jesus, and ask him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may in inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And this is what the, and he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And look at verse 21. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way and sell whatever you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross and follow me. Man, a sad verse is verse 22. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. But he had great possessions. Well, what we always think, and you do and I do too. Hold on a second. I want to point something out here. He's read the passage to us. Now comes the interpretation. This is one of the more difficult passages to interpret. 
Because in order to interpret it correctly, you must understand the proper distinction between God's law and the gospel. The scripture is clear, Romans and Galatians, if you're not if you're not familiar with either of those books, make it clear that God's law was never given or intended to save us. The purpose, the primary purpose of God's law is to show us our sin, is to show us and give us knowledge of our sin. Okay, read Romans chapter 3 in context and you'll see what I'm talking about here. So, when we come to Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 17 through 22, we've, we've now got a passage where the proper understanding of law and gospel from other passages of scripture are going to give us the key to unlocking this. Let me read the passage. And as he, that's Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, if you understand law and gospel properly, you already detect that there is a problem with the question. Inheritance is not something that you earn. Okay, let's go back to my Donald Trump analogy. Let's say for whatever reason, Donald Trump decides that he's going to adopt me as his son. And and so I become an heir of the Trump fortune, okay? Um, have I done anything to earn that inheritance? No, not at all. In fact, it's all a gift, and the only thing that needs to happen in order for me to receive the inheritance is for Trump to kick the bucket. Die, if you would. So inherit eternal life. He does understand correctly that an eternal life is something that is an inheritance. Already we've got a problem, though, because he's uh, somebody who doesn't understand the depth of his sin because he's asking a question as to what he must do to inherit a gift. Uh-huh. See the problem? We continue. Verse 18, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Jesus already beginning to help him sort some things out here. Uh, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, by the way, I want to point something out here. Every one of the commandments that Jesus lists off are commandments that have to do with our relationship to other human beings. The second table, if you would. First table of the Ten Commandments has to do with our relationship with God. Ironic here, a little bit telling, that Jesus here begins by pointing out that no one is good except for God alone, which is a veiled allusion to Jesus' own deity. And then when Jesus lists off the commandments, he clicks off the second table, not the first. Okay, This man's problem, though, his, his real sin... His idol sits in the first table, not the second. So what's his reply? And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I've kept from youth. That's eh, baby stuff. You know, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I haven't lied or, or defrauded. And I honored my father and mother, right? So he's thinking he's set. Okay. So Jesus is now going to backdoor him, so to speak, 
uh, regarding the first table problem that he has, and that's idolatry. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, his money, his possessions, was his God. He didn't have, he didn't truly fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So uh, our pastor here, he's read the passage correctly, but has he interpreted it right? Well, let's find out. I said, Lord, you you ask an unrealistic, unrealistic thing for that guy to do. You ask that guy to sell everything he had. The the cage for this rich young ruler was his finances. His finances was his cage. Uh, No, no, no. His finance wasn't his cage. It was his God. It was his idol. Again, this pastor has no clue how to properly interpret God's word. God knew that. He said, go sell everything that you have and come follow me. And so a lot of times we... And no, that was not Jesus' invitation for him to come on the adventure of a lifetime. We, 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 our, our, our brain over here, our analytical brain, begins to feel the sorrow of that guy. Well, Mark, he was a good person. He obeyed all the commandments. And he did all these things. And, 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 and you know, and he asked him to give up everything he had. That's just, that's just not fair. But you know what we fail to appreciate is the offer that Jesus put on the table. Follow me. Follow me right now. We fail to realize the offer that Jesus put on the table. What do you mean, Pastor? He said, come and, he said take up your cross, come and follow me. You're talking about an internship, following the Son of God. But he, you know what he said? He, his, his, his identity was in his wealth. And I'm not against wealth. I'll, I'll deal with that in just a minute. But he was in that cage of finances. And God was calling him out of the cage of finances to live a life with purpose. But he chose to retreat back in. No, Christ was calling him to <laughs> confess his idolatry, repent of his sin. Then he goes to these 12 un, uncivilized, uneducated fishermen. And he comes across them and says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And you know what those guys did? They followed him. They left their nets and they left their, what they did. And they followed the Son of God. Listen what they got to do. They, they were there when he turned the water into wine. They were there when he, when he, when he called Lazarus. Yeah, listen, because they, they decided to, be, to go with Jesus on this grand adventure. Listen to all the adventurous things that they got to do. They got to be there when Jesus turned water into wine, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Wow! And then they were all uh, murdered and martyred, except for one come forth out of the tomb. They were there when the woman that had been bent over for years and years and years comes by and her back is straight. They were there when a funeral possession came by and, and this mother had lost her only son and they're just piling around with the Son of God and Jesus said, watch this. And he goes there and he touches coffin and the person was raised from the dead. They were there. They were there when he did the Sermon on the Mount. They got to hear it firsthand. You talking about living. You know what this? You know what the theologians say back then that most people never traveled out of a 35-mile radius of where they grew up. Oh man! So the way we properly understand uh, the stories in the scripture is that the apostles were on a grand adventure and they got to travel outside of their little hometown. Ugh. But here are these old cowboys who, if they had to follow, if they didn't give up and follow Jesus Christ, they would have died, never seen much further than the Sea of Galilee. But we see the story where Paul goes to Italy. You know, Peter goes to Italy. You know, Thomas and his wild goose chase, he chases him all the way to India. 
These guys travel further than they've ever thought they'd ever travel. They got to see some of the things they never thought they would see. But you know what? They got to experience their life with purpose for the Son of God. And they got to, you and I get to read about them today. And God is looking for some people. You know, whatever He asks you to do, whatever He asks you to give up. When He asked me to give up, when I gave up my safety and my retirement and, and my security and my normal life and, and, and all those things, those, those fell in comparison of what God has allowed me to be a part of the last eight years. Am I, am I not right, honey? I've gone, I, listen, I've been on the stage at Benny Hinn. I don't belong up there. I mean, there's, there's... You've been on the stage at Benny Hinn. Oh, man. Steve Hill, there's, Ryan, there's, there's uh, Jensen Franklin, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm up there on the stage with them. I'm not tooting my own horn. I sit in the car. Yeah, you are tooting your own horn, and it's not even a horn worth tooting. You're basically saying you are a complete gullible person who falls for the, the lies and heresies of televangelists who stroke your ego by inviting you to stand up and sit on stage with them. Give me a break. With, with Reinhard Bonnke, who has saved over millions of people. I'm in the car with him. No, you were in the car with somebody who's... Oh, man. And I've been a part of, of reaching over 100,000 people for Jesus Christ. And you ask me, I walked away from toting a brown box. And the security of that fails in comparison to what God has let me to be a part of these last eight years. But I'm going to tell you something. Yeah, because the, the whole point of being a Christian is going on a grand adventure. I'm going to be honest with you. The last year, I'm comfortable. Your pastors got comfortable. Oh no, the sin of comfort. He has been engaging in the sin of comfort. He's gotten comfortable. Say it isn't so. And it ain't in me to be comfortable. It ain't in me to live a life on cruise control. I can take my 150 people and we play nice church the rest of the way. But God didn't call me from UPS, guys, just to, to, just do, to, to, to get comfortable and get a good paycheck coming in and, and just cruise this last 20, 30, 40, 50 years that I'm on this earth. God did not save me and call me, guys, just to put my life on cruise control and be comfortable. God's called me to change the world. God's called you to change the world. Oh, man. Man, you know, a sure way to guarantee that you won't change the world is to think that you've been sent out to change the world. I just, something I've noticed, all this talk about world changing, and yet all the guys who are out there preaching about changing the world, they really aren't, are they? Okay. And you know, most people are hiring these young pastors to come along because they'll, they'll go for it. And here I'm 48 years old, soon to be 49 years old. But I got such things going on inside of me that I, that I, that I almost can't control. Because God placed those things. Those are God-ordained visions that God has placed on the inside of me. No, we're not going to talk about anything on the inside of you. Your job is to preach the Word, to open up the book and start reading and preaching and proclaiming Christ, Him crucified for our sins. Christ is the center and substance of Scripture. To open up the God's Word and actually teach people what it says. You have failed to do that so far. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. But I know this. I was watching a movie the other night. And, and I won't tell you the name of it because I can't remember the name of it. But there's these two old boys. There's these two old cowboys. I love them, man. I love them. And they just had an adventure and they lived. And they were just going out and, and, and they both wanted to do life together because they knew the, the makeup of each one. And I'm going to tell you something. I know the makeup of this church. I know the DNA of this church. 
I know the DNA of you guys here today. What does that mean? I know the DNA of... Oh, man. You long for an adventure. You long to take a risk. You long to make a difference with your life. That's why you're at the Abundant Life Church. You can go and you can go to another... Nothing wrong with other church. You can go and you can sit on the back row and, and, and just be a part of the church and do that and give money when the offering goes by. There's thousands of people that do it every single day. But you're here because there's something God has placed on the inside of you. And you say, you know, maybe in this place... I'll live out that adventure. I'll, I'll be having an opportunity to do what God's called me to do. Because part of our... This is the church of the delusions of grandeur. Vision is empowering people. I know, I know that one of my jobs, there's greatness on the inside of every one of you in this room. There's greatness. No, there's sin on the inside of everybody in that room. They are all sinful by nature. They are... Oh, man, you've got to be... There's not... Gra greatness on the inside you are literally blowing smoke and sunshine at these people and lying to them and not telling them the truth it's on the inside of everyone in this room maggie listen to me honey there's greatness on the inside of you there's greatness on the inside of you but listen to this there's greatness on the inside of all of you and one of my jobs as your pastor is to pull that out just like you you're not doing it if that's your job uh, you really are failing miserably at even that I, there was greatness the very first time you came in here you can go back and you look you the, the picnic table where that gentleman asked you to come to church and it was all hell breaking loose in your home and there, it ain't been easy since you've been here but look what you've done and you've you, you started and you've been a part of and, and I've watched you bloom I've watched you grow I've watched you I want to pull that at your church where's Aaron Aaron I mean in, in, he's in the nursery wherever he is where's he at but anyway, but there's so many things that I see, and, 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 and we want to come in. We just want to, we get, we get in our cages where we'll come and sit in church, and, and we'll sing our kumbaya, and we'll pass the offering, we'll bless God. We've now crossed the line from even making any sense at all into complete gibberish. This would be the equivalent of speaking in tongues while actually speaking English. Oh, I know I'm supposed to tithe, man. Bless God, I got a tithe or the mafia will strike me and, you know, and all this stuff. And, you know, and, 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 and we just sit there and we go week after week, month after month. And all the devil's doing, he's just, he's correct. You've laid down in, in Delilah's lap just as much as, 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 as Samson laid down in her lap. He's lulled you to sleep with, with, with things. And he's just got you right in his lap. But after this sermon, the next four weeks, your life will, you, you, you're going you're to do, you're going to go for it. You're going to, you're going to attempt something you never, you never thought you'd see yourself doing in, in your entire life. And so we, we look at this offer, guys, we look at this offer that Jesus made to, to the rich man. And he's making the same offer. He did not make an offer to the rich man as far as coming on a great adventure. Jesus was literally using God's law to point out this man's idolatry and his sin. He had made his money his God. To you and I, he's, he's making the same offer to you and I. Come follow me. Come follow me. Take up your cross and come follow me. And whatever you have to give up, guys, it will never, it will fail in comparison what God will do with an individual who says, you know what, I'm going to follow you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I'm inviting you this morning to be a part of something that's bigger than you, that's more important than you. Anything about the gospel there? Wouldn't the gospel be the important thing? Bigger than you and more important than you. It's okay. Where are you going with this? I got I to gotta start bringing, landing the plane. I'm inviting you to be something bigger than you that's, 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 that, that when you're part of the Abundant Life Church, what is it all about, Pastor? I mean, I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to run. Not many people will want to run with me long. I'll be honest with you. Not many people would want to run with me long.
But I didn't see a whole lot of people running with Paul either. Because you imagine running with Paul? You're comparing yourself to the Apostle Paul. And we're going to go out there and look. I, I see all them scars on your back. And, and if you go, Paul, I'll pray for you right here. <laughs> but some of you, I'm telling you, I had a gentleman came up to him this morning. I'm not going to put any pressure on him. He came up and said, man, I want to go to India with you. I want to go to India with you. I say, bless God, you just don't know. You're getting ready to get messed up more, you know. And, uh, and uh, you know, but there's, there's, there's sometimes you've got to change your, 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 your uh, what do you call it? The long, latitude and long, what's that longitude? Longitude and latitude. Sometimes you've got to change your latitude and longitude and latitude. You know, I change my longitude and latitude every time I get in my car and I drive somewhere. According to my GPS, my longitude and latitude changes. Oh, words have no meaning anymore. Oh. You gotta change it. Just get out there. I'm telling you guys, things just happen. I don't know why it did in, in my life, and so I, I'm not saying that everybody out here's the blueprint. We all got to go on a mission trip, or Mark doesn't think we're adventurous. I'm not saying that, but I mean we got so many things to do right here. We got jail ministries. We're starting a jail ministry on Sunday morning in Dawson County very, very soon. They're going to be able to go up there in Dawson County and share Christ, and then come to church. I'm not going to keep them out of church, but even if I did, you want me to tell you what I do? I tell them to go. Most people have heard enough of sermons in here. You, you don't need another sermon. You know what I'm saying? I would, I, if it interfered with this morning's service, I'm gonna be. I'm, I'm different than most pastors. I love when the church is full. But I, if it meant 10:30, 11:30 that we get in Dawson County to share the word of Christ with with six pods, I tell you to go. I tell you to go. You know, we'd rotate people in where you could get enough in here. So getting back, Mark, where are you going? This. What is he talking about? Oh my goodness. Ah! This adventure. I'm getting ready to go on an adventure again with God. And you are going to be a get, you're going to be able to get a part of it in this building right here. Everyone here this morning is going to be a part of it. I know that, that, that what I'm getting ready to do in the next four weeks, I, I believe, guys, we're in a moment. That I think it's a God moment where we can either seize it or we can miss it. We've had many moments that God has brought our way. And said, so, Mark, you ready to go to the next level? Are you ready to go to the next level? And if, what exactly is the next level? Where's that taught? And, and I'm th- in the Bible. Well, apparently, I guess I've broken the audio link on this sermon. I've had enough of it anyway. All right, folks, this is the stuff that's passing off as preaching nowadays. This is what pastors are, they've substituted for God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and by his death on the cross. We're, we're not even getting sound doctrine anymore. This isn't even doctrine. This is just opinion. It, uh, it, this is ridiculous. Uh, apparently, churches are now on wild goose chases, and uh, and unfortunately, again, if you listen to Fighting for the Faith, uh, and you've listened to any of our sermon reviews, uh, these are not the out-of-the-ordinary sermons. These are pretty much the common, everyday, grassroots sermons that are being preached around the country and the world nowadays. And uh, the state of preaching in America and around the world and evangelicalism is completely in tatters, completely messed up. And we need to be calling these folks to repentance and get them back on task, get them back on message, get them back on the gospel, and stop chasing these wild geese and preach the saving message, the one message that we've been given not not too hard. Go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. 
Real simple. And yet, it's the one thing you can't find. The one message you cannot find. Well, sadly, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. I want to remind you that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, which means uh, that we depend on you in order to pay our bills so that we can continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. You can support us a couple of ways. One, by visiting fightingforthefaith.com, which is also the home of our archives, and click on one of our friendly yellow donate buttons. It allows you to uh, send your gift in instantaneously and uh, and do so uh, securely online. Or you can make your gift check payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Oh, man. If you'd like to email... That has got to be one of the dumbest sermons I've ever heard. If you'd like to email me, you can. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can look me up on Facebook or Twitter. My name on Twitter is Pirate Christian and I send out subversive microblogging tweets on a regular basis. Until next time, may God richly bless you in His mercy and grace won for you by Christ's death on the cross. <laughs>